0: everybody welcome to another episode of impact books today is going to be a little different than normal and i'm going to be reviewing a book called some by dr david eagleman and David Eagleman is a neuroscientist. He's one of my absolute favorite neuroscientists, and we recently um, interviewed him. I guess that's the royal we. uh, I recently interviewed him on Impact Theory and had an absolute blast with this guy. The way that he views the world is utterly, utterly fascinating. Now, the reason that this is going to be a slightly different um, book review than normal is because this is actually a work of literary fiction. So here you have a very accomplished neuroscientist who's done a TED Talk that just smashed it about how Um, as human beings, we're actually going to be able to expand what he refers to as the umwelt, um, the the human umwelt. So literally, an umwelt is all the things that we take in from a sensory perspective. And so we can't see an infrared, so even though it's present, um, radio waves, even though they're present, they all exist outside of our umwelt. We can't see them, we can't touch them. Um, And to think that a guy that's operating at that level of science is also really intrigued and driven by things at a more human and emotional, um, non-scientific level. I found it really, really interesting. And this book is, uh, the subtitle of it is 40 Tales from the Afterlives. And it's literally 40 small vignettes, um, all having to do with, with different potentialities, if you will, for the afterlife and what they really reflect back to us about the human condition um, and really gave me some just incredible insights. And I didn't even know this book existed until I was researching, um, Eagleman for the interview and he made, or somebody made a passing reference to it and something that I was, um, digging into to learn about him. And I thought, oh, well, you know, let me check it out. And then, um, reading the first chapter turned into me reading the whole book and it just ended up really being, uh, an incredibly fascinating look Um, back at ourselves. And it reminds me of a book called Einstein's dreams, which is similar. I don't remember how many small vignettes, but it was a series of these small vignettes about, um, about time and about being human and how time impacts um, our perception of ourselves and our lives. And so I'm just going to run through the ones that really jumped out at me and what they made me think about in, in the hopes that um, you guys will be as intrigued and interested by these glimpses of humanity as I was, and hopefully we'll go and read the book. Uh, this, this one comes from the very first story in the book, and it is basically, um, when you die, your life is played back to you in real time but it's played back to you in a different sequence. So all things that are thematically similar are gonna be grouped together. So the amount of time that you spend waiting in line, the amount of time that you spent lying, the amount of time that you spent um, in a warm embrace, like they, they all play back In real time and and what I found so interesting about this is in the book he basically says you know you spend this many hours waiting in line you spend this many hours sleeping and you know sleeping was like years years and years of just sleeping Um, this many minutes in rapturous joy and to see the different time scales like the amount of time that you spend in rapturous joy is dwarfed by the amount of time that you spend waiting in lines like the DMV and hearing that and because his the numbers that he assigned seemed so real that the amount of time that you have spent waiting in line is so much bigger than the amount of time that you've spent in rapturous joy there really was this sense of opportunity lost and that's exactly how i felt reading the story that there are opportunities in my life that so often i'm just letting things happen that I'm not making an effort to minimize the amount of time that I spend doing the inane things, that I'm not trying to optimize my life for joy, that I I really did have this just incredible sense of of missing opportunities. And that, I think, is the real power of this book is it makes you question. What you prioritize. It makes you question some of these really base fundamental things in your life. And just by getting that small shift in perspective of um, contemplating a life that is laid out in thematics, it really makes you think, what are the things that are important in my life? And I have an unending fear that I don't spend enough time thinking about my life from a high enough level that my life is just passing me by. And wow, I'm thinking about this in real time. I think that's why I'm obsessed with living forever. That some part of me knows that my life isn't optimized right now, that I haven't focused on all the right things. And because I'm not focusing on the right things, that if I run out of time, that there will be um, a sense of regret that is born only out of that, that I could have done things in a way that was more valuable to my own belief system and like that's the kind of thing this is just one of the 40 stories and that's the kind of thing that this book really projects you inward to think about your own life and to think about the the things that are invisible to us and there's that great um david foster wallace agent smith david foster wallace and that notion that um The fish are the last ones to see the water. And there's another story. I'll I'll get more into this later. But how much of our life is the way that it is because we can't see the water, the things that we take for granted that are so pervasive and and that could be changed, but they're so pervasive that we don't even see that they're there. And and to me, mindset is certainly one of those. But how you spend your time is another. All right. Another story. Um, This is about how in the afterlife, You only see the people that you know. And so the people that you encountered on a regular basis, they're there in your life. And it's not necessarily just your family and friends, but it's the people that are in your ecosystem. And what would the world look like if it were reduced to that? There are no strangers. Um, it's only people that you you know, have this sense of warm familiarity for. And in the beginning, you really like it. And in the beginning, this feels truly like heaven. And then over time, you begin to realize that your world has collapsed down to only the known. And there's no opportunity for surprise. There's no opportunity for serendipity. It's really just boiled down to... Um, those things that you went out of your way to encounter in your life. And this was one of those ones um, that had this like really poignant punchline at the end. And it says, you know, as you begin to realize that you miss all of the industries, like think of the industries that you knew nothing about, that you never encountered, maybe the textile industry or, or the way that food is manufactured. But because you didn't know anybody in those realms, you didn't take the time to learn anything about them or encounter them, that you... Don't know that you miss it until it's gone. And once those things are gone and you begin to see that your world, kind of like Truman in The Truman Show, that your world now is so small and that all those possibilities, the things that you could have done, like merely knowing in the back of your mind somewhere that you could take that trip to Europe or you could go to South America or you could learn about something that you know nothing about, knowing that you could is in and of itself, amazing. But in life, that unexpressed potential is pleasurable. But once your world is reduced down to only the things that you actually acted on, only those potentialities that you did something about, once your world is reduced to that, it becomes too small. It becomes claustrophobic. It becomes sad. And there's this sense of aching and longing for something more. And it was one of the stories where originally you think it's heaven, but then ultimately it becomes hell. And the poignant part that I was talking about, that the punchline that the book ends on is that the narrator has no sympathy for you because that is the life that you chose while you were alive. And that gave me the chill. It gave me the chills now just to talk about it. That we're all living that life really of somewhat limited possibilities and were pacified by the fact that we could do more. And in fact, that's one of the things, the the thing that became most memorable for me out of Einstein's dreams was this one world in which people lived forever. And because they lived forever, the world broke into two different pieces, people that did everything because there was always time to do all the things that they were passionate about. And so they could just do one thing after another, after another, and they were never hindered by the overwhelming nature of all the things that they wanted to do and explore. But then there was the flip side, people who did nothing because there was always time to do something tomorrow. And that like really haunted me. In fact, just got the chills again. That's one of those things that I read that book probably when I was like 13 or 14 and it has left a lasting impression on me because it became a part of my identity to always be one of the people that would do everything that would accept that there's enough time for me to pursue all of my passions and not to be lulled into the sense that I could do it tomorrow. And so I had that similar sense here of, you know, encountering more new ideas, encountering new people um, with new perspectives and that to do it now, to not put it off, to not be waiting till tomorrow was really powerful. And that's that's one of the ideas from this book that will really haunt me. Um, One of the other stories. So a lot of the stories have to do with heaven and hell and what's a reward and what's a punishment. And one of them is this notion that immortality is a punishment that God bestows on the wicked. Now, obviously, you guys know me. I want to live forever. That's a big thing for me. Um, And so it was really fascinating to see the flip side of that coin. And a quote from the story um, is that too much life is the opiate of the masses. And that when you live forever, it there's like this numbing effect that there's no um, there's no need to push. There's no need to do something now. There's no need to do something quickly because you're going to live forever. That everything diminishes in its brightness, in its enthusiasm. That in in not being transient, in not being these fleeting, disappearing moments, that nothing is special. And that it is the the transience of the moment. It's knowing that these things that are beautiful are gonna be lost, that these things that you love are gonna be lost, that the people that you love will ultimately be lost. That really makes them valuable. And that is intriguing to me because I don't feel that way. And I guess because even if, like the only experience that I know is eternity. I don't have a sense of not being here. I can't comprehend not being here again in the future. So every moment that I've lived is eternal in its nature. And despite that, the the comings and goings of things in life, and as Phil Jackson said, things come together, things fall apart, because I know that even if the cycle repeats forever, that there's a transience to this moment. There's a transience to feeling good. There's a transience to feeling bad. And that in the fact that things will always pass, that they will always ebb and flow into something else, like that creates in my life a sense that everything is transient, even if life itself is eternal. So, but it was really interesting to hear such an eloquent description of what that would be like for somebody for whom that would be a living hell. And I found that very, very interesting. And one of the ideas um, in that story is that time is essentially drowning God and he envies humans their, their temporality, the, the fact that they will go away and that it gives everything such importance. So um, two differing uh, opinions on that one. There's another one. Dying is a two-stage process where finally the ego melts away and you're able to see yourself exactly as you are. That's the first part to the process of dying. And the second part, and this is interesting, is what finally kills you is having a naked look at who you really are without the protective mechanisms of the ego. Now, remember, this is being written by a neuroscientist, somebody who understands that the conscious mind is really taking credit for all the stuff that happens subconsciously, that um, knowing the extent to which we lie to ourselves, the extent to which our vision of ourselves is a construct and it has almost nothing to do with how other people see us, and that to truly be robbed of that protective mechanism, to really see ourselves as others see us, would be so traumatic that it would kill us, and, and I've thought a lot about what, where is the ego protective mechanism, where is um, the psychological immune system's ability to swath us in positive self-delusion? Where is that helping us? And at what point does it begin to hurt us? And that's something that I think a lot about. And when you hear me talk about, you know, um, knowing when to stare nakedly at my inadequacies and knowing when to really have belief in myself, You know, that constant push-pull between those two things is, I think, sitting at the heart of people's ability to grow and get better. It's like you have to protect yourself enough emotionally to get out of bed, to do things, to believe in yourself, to believe that you can do something, that you're worth Integrated AI tools. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start, run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than ten percent of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a one-dollar-per-month trial at Shopify.com/slash has it. And with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And that notion of not being good enough, that notion of being worthwhile is one of the most fascinating push-pull parts of humanity because if you don't believe that you're worth something you'll never take action but if you believe that you're worth too much you won't take action and it's that really fascinating uh um, intersection of yes you should love yourself for who you are but yes to accomplish the things that you want to do you're going to have to be deeply unsatisfied with who you are and push yourself forward so Yeah, I found that one very, very intriguing. All right, the next one. Both heaven and hell use the same information as either a reward or a punishment. So the knowledge that free will doesn't exist in this one is that piece of information. And for a certain personality, the knowledge that you aren't to blame, I'll use that word, you aren't to blame for anything because you are essentially a computer algorithm and um, given this input, you will get this output. And that's it. And there's no sort of... um, I think they call it a humungulus hiding in your head. That's this autonomous being that, you know, pulls and pushes the levers and is truly free will, meaning independent of your biology. And that for people um, that that maybe feel badly about things that they've done in their life or a very low self-esteem or feel that they've done bad things or that they are bad people, that for them, that is such a liberating thought that it is the very definition of heaven. But then for other people who feel good about being able to choose and that they aren't, um, you know, uh, determined by something else that really, truly the beautiful things in their life are the result of choices that they've made and the hardships that they've struggled through, like they get to feel the um, the wondrous nature of having overcome something very difficult and that you know there's something special about them that they've either developed or that they've been given and that they pushed through that and overcame those obstacles for them to be robbed of that is hell is the very definition of watching yourself dissolve into nothingness and where I truly fall as a person I believe in um I believe that we're we're a product of our biology and I don't know that there really is any free will. And what I find utterly fascinating is I don't care and that doesn't have any impact on how I feel about the choices that I make. And I feel bad when I do something stupid or mean or hurtful. And I feel great when I do what I consider to be the right thing, especially when it's hard and to keep pushing and to shape my identity and to act as if I control everything like that makes me feel good. That makes me feel good about myself. It makes me feel good about what I've accomplished, even though some part of me knows it's probably all an illusion And. That's why I I once met uh, another totally different neuroscientist, and he said, you know, my whole life, the biggest question I want to answer is what is consciousness? And my response to that was who cares, like of all the questions that hold no um, interest for me, it's what is consciousness, because whether I'm autonomous being um, or whether I'm an automaton, I feel like I'm autonomous. I feel like I can act in a way that I control. I feel that I can do the things that I want to do. And so it doesn't really matter to me which one is true. All right. And the last thing, um, one life in the book that they cover is where you're forced to see the better versions of yourself. You're forced to see the versions of yourself that you could have been if you had made different choices if you had done different things and is that heaven or hell um this is an interesting notion i've heard other people um, flirt with this before you know how would you feel if you actually got to see what would happen if you'd made choice b instead of choice a if you had been a little bit stronger if you'd put in a little bit more work if you had really executed on your potential what would that look like And I don't think there's any escaping that there would be a certain amount of heartbreak in that. And I guess the thing that, oh, man, I would really want is to be able to see that in a it's a wonderful life kind of way where you have the time to do something about it that you can glimpse what your life would be like if you just overcame this. Like, I'll I'll tell you the one thing for me. That was my thing with anxiety. I really felt like when I wasn't anxious that I had a superpower. And when I was anxious, it was like fucking kryptonite and it robbed me of everything. And so I just became hell-bent to get over that, to do whatever I had to do to push past that and get to the other side. And it was the excitement of who I could become that made it worth pushing through. All right, these are but a few of the amazing stories in this book. I can't encourage you guys enough to read that. It it will make you think about your life. I think it will impact you. I think it will change the way that you approach your life and approach the world in general. Um, They were utterly fascinating. They're short. They're powerful. They're beautiful. Read them. Some by Dr. David Eagleman. Check it out. All right, guys, this is a weekly show. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary.